In the name of the one holy, living, and true God, amen. In these past days, I've felt myself to be in no state to be able to preach good news, to preach Easter, to shout, Alleluia, Christ is risen. For each day, as the news of the world penetrates my morning awakening and whatever pleasant feelings arise during my morning dog walk, I feel the following. Discouraged, disgusted, angry, helpless, even hopeless. Not always in that order, and not all of them every day, but lurking, pressing in in a sort of low-grade alternation between rage and despair. You all know the litany. War in Ukraine, yet another mass shooting and attendant lack of gun control, the uproar over abortion, COVID, climate change, and the seeming impotence of Congress to do its job as lies and hypocrisy block hope for any real action. Until recently, usually only one of these areas held my attention and ire. But now all of them, all at the same time, weigh on me and seem to threaten the very well-being of this country. It used to be said, this is not who we are. But now I fear this is who we are. And so as I prepared to stand here this morning in this pulpit, here in this beloved community, I found myself at somewhat of a loss. What could I offer that would be good news that is neither overblown nor just sentimental or insignificant, meaningless? Where is the good news of God's love in these dreary days? So after a lot of casting about, I want to hold out a couple of big things and then a couple of smaller things that may in fact be enough good news to at least face the day and maybe even enough to make us, help us make it through it to a newer, better time. The big things are these. First, ideals and the wild hope we have of one day achieving them. The passage from Revelation gives us the incredible vision of the holy city. Talk about an ideal and a wild hope. This city is full of light. There's no darkness. Apparently there will be no sin there, no abomination. It is beautiful with the water of life and the tree of life to heal all the nations. And God will be everywhere and all will be marked by the glory of God. And this is how the Bible ends, in a fantastic vision of a world restored and the promise that God will make everything new. There will be no more imperfection and evil in this city. It will not be at all like Buffalo or Charlottesville or Mariupol or Washington, D.C. It's the whole lovely metaphor of the city on the hill, a utopian vision that is not and never will be attainable and yet, in our deepest longings, we yearn for such purity and beauty and goodness. And I do believe that ideals and wild hopes can motivate us and spur us to keep trying and to dream big, individually and collectively. Probably now most of us don't turn to the book of Revelation, I don't think that I do, as an expression of our ideals and hopes. But it's an example, among others, 
literature and music and great paintings and the glories of nature and wonderful instances of our humanity at its best can inspire us to always reach beyond what is present and at least aim to transcend what we think we can do. And secondly, the passage from John's Gospel assures us that we are never alone in doing this, in facing this troubled world. Rather, the Holy Spirit, the advocate as Jesus calls it, will teach us and remind us of what love entails. We're not abandoned in the face of despair. Okay, so these gifts from our scriptures reminding us of ideals and hopes and God's presence with us are big things. They are good news, but only if we can connect them with the lives we're living now. For that, I turn to the smaller things, the concrete actions we might take. I'm thinking of the wonderful Jewish concept of tikkun olan. This is the aspiration to behave and act constructively and beneficially. It means in ways large and small to repair the world. It isn't about making the world perfect. It doesn't eradicate sin, but it counts, and everyone can do it, groups and individuals and institutions. It's not grandiose and heroic, but rather persistent and kind. Tikkun Alon. I love this. But no matter how much we might like to repair the world, to make a difference, we must recognize and account for human sin. It is forever entrenched. It is both individual and structural, and it gets in the way. I've just finished a book about the, power, by the, about the powerful 20th century theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. It's um, Why Niebuhr Matters by Charles Lemmert. He writes about Niebuhr's healthy recognition of human sin, quoting Niebuhr as saying, sin is about a deep resistance in the human condition to achieving the good the human spirit promises. It's like St. Paul, not doing the good he would do, but the evil he would not. It's like the U.S. Congress, seemingly unable to act effectively to achieve goals most Americans support. It's us when selfishness conquers our will to help others in ways that matter. And another problem Niebuhr addressed is as relevant now as ever, and that is perfectionism. That's a barrier to change because of its impossibility. If we think that something has to be perfect or we won't, we won't even try doing anything, then it's not worth it. We have to recognize limits but not be paralyzed by them. A current cliche is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. We must still always strive to do something. In a passage about his own pastoral and political work against injustice, Niebuhr says that his work brought home the realization that when one trusts reliable conviction, thinks deeply, and works as hard as any one person can, things can change for the better. Niebuhr was known as a Christian realist, and he is probably best known for the famous prayer that is the hallmark of Alcoholics Anonymous. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So, with the high ideals and glorious vision of Scripture and with the realism of Niebuhr about sin and our limits, how do we live today in this time of such trouble and anxiety? What are the smaller things? 
I want to offer first some poetry from T.S. Eliot and then a story from a recent column in the Washington Post. In The Dry Salvages, the third of Eliot's four quartets, there is this passage about rare mystical moments and then the work of living daily. I hope someone reads it at my funeral. This is the passage. For most of us, there is only the unattended moment, the moment in and out of time, the distraction fit lost in a shaft of sunlight, the wild time unseen, or the winter lightning, or the waterfall, or music heard so deeply that it is not heard at all, but you are the music while the music lasts. These are only hints and guesses, hints followed by guesses, and the rest is prayer, obedience, discipline, thought, and action. Prayer, observance, discipline, thought, and action. These are the things each one of us, each in our own way, can do every single day to try to make a difference, no matter how small, to be part of tikkun olan, and to save ourselves from the kinds of negative crippling feelings I described in myself at the beginning. And finally, this is a really small thing. It's, from, it's a story from a column by Kathleen Parker in the Washington Post. She describes an incredibly frustrating, maddening search for a cab here on Connecticut Avenue, then trying to get a rental car at Union Station, standing in long lines, waiting for uncaring agents, and as her sense of goodwill for her fellow humans drained away. But eventually she ended up at the Hertz window, where an unbelievably cheery, smiling young man greeted her with total competence and civility. He arranged for the car. He carried her bags to the car. He was actually just doing his job, Parker points out. But at that point, it made her feel like bursting into song. She said to him, it's nice to see someone smile. This was his response. I smile because other people are going to have a bad day. But I'm not going to have a bad day because I'm going to change someone's day. Parker just looked at him, wondering how he had become such a wise, kind person, and called back, you changed my day. He laughed happily over his shoulder as he walked away. Parker ends her column with this, I will always be grateful for his generosity and for reminding me that we all have the power to change another's day. With just a little effort, we could change the country. That last bit is an overstatement for sure. But it's about the importance of starting where we are, starting small, doing whatever we can to make things better. Good news for me on a grumpy morning. Amen.